Jude 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! And we'll stop there. So just by way of recap, the last time we were together, we looked at verses 5 through 7. If you recall, Jude is warning us about the judgment that is certain that the righteousness of Christ will be vindicated, and he gives us three examples in verses 5 through 7, the unbelieving Israelites, the rebellious angels, and the, the immoral uh, people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're warned that if, if we don't persevere, if we don't contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, we will find ourselves similarly situated as these, these examples that he gave us, living in, in lives of unbelief and distrust of God, like the Israelites, rejecting the authority of God, like the angels, or pursuing unnatural desires and just whatever lusts that our minds can, can concoct like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jude said that these are all examples that are given to us for the certainty, to know the certainty of God's judgment on those people who reject the truth. The idea was for him to say, look, guys, we've got examples. Don't you see how God dealt with these people? Be assured that he will deal similarly with these current people who pervert the grace of God into sensualities. And then we come to verse 8, and Jude, he changes the direction of his warnings here. He's, he's not referring back to the past now. And in verses 5 through 7, he was talking about people of the past and how they, they served as an example for us today. In verse 8, he turns his attention to, to the here and now directly to the present, and he, he shows us how these false Christians, let's call them what they are, they're apostates, they've abandoned the faith, how they are, are today, they're just like those people who, who were from long ago, and how they are destined for the same kind of judgment. So I come to verse 8, and I confess, this is kind of a confusing text in, in Jude. And there are a couple of those in Jude. This is certainly one of them. Let's take it as it comes to us. In verse 8, Jude says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams. Your King James says, Likewise these filthy dreamers. Well, the first question that comes to my mind is, Who are these people? Who are these filthy dreamers? Who are the ones who are relying on their dreams? In order to answer that, we've got to go back up to verse 4. Jude says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then you recall, like we just said, verses 5 through 7, he gave examples from the past. And in verse 8, he's referring back to these certain people who have crept in unnoticed. These same people, these ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and deny Jesus. These same people, they act like those people from long ago that are the past examples for us. So these are the ones he's talking about. The one, he's talking about contemporaries, people today. Jude says, yet in like manner. So even though there were clear examples from history. You ever heard the expression, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it? And so Jude's giving us clear examples. He said, y'all, you've had clear examples from history that, that serve to let us know that there is error here and there's wickedness here in these kinds of things. And if you ignore the teaching of Scripture and you, you disobey God and you follow after your own lustful desires and you, you rebel against Him, then you will likewise be judged. It's like they ignore the example. That's what Jude's saying. Is like, look, look, at the, look at these guys around you. They're ignoring the examples that are set before them. Here's a clear picture. Here's a clear example of what's going to happen, the condemnation that's already been written for them, and they just ignore it. They turn their nose up at it. Look at what he says that they do. This is where Jude gets into the, the contemporary sinfulness of these apostates. He says that they uh, defile the flesh, still in verse 8. It's, um, as we work through it, you're, you'll see that it, it appears that Jude is working in reverse order from the examples that he just previously gave in verse 5 through 7 starting with the last example and working his way back through the list. He says that these current false Christians, these people who take the name of Christ, but they don't, they're not living like they serve Him at all, they defile the flesh. And this is exactly what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah back in verse 7. They defile the flesh. The people in that city, they pursued unnatural desires. They indulged themselves in sexual immoralities. So whatever desires they had, they pursued, no matter how based or perverse. If you are here with us last Wednesday, we discussed some of that, and it was truly wicked what went on in Genesis 19. Jude says that these current people, they ignore the example of the past, and those examples were given to us to be examples, and yet they pursue sexual immorality and unnatural desire anyway. Continuing on, he says that they reject authority. Again, working in, in reverse order. This is what happened in his second example, isn't it? With the rebellious angels. The angels who left their proper position of authority back in verse 6. He said they, they, so they refuse to listen to the clear instruction of God. They find themselves in willful disobedience. Let's call it what that is. That's rebellion, open rebellion. Knowing what the Bible says, they convince themselves that it, it surely it doesn't mean that. I mean, I see what it says, but surely it doesn't mean that. I, I had a friend of mine tell me one time that she and her husband were at a, um, we'll call it a, a non-traditional church here in town. Um, they do things somewhat differently. Uh, they kind of have a loose definition of what church is. Um, anyway, the, the preacher that was there that evening, uh, he's a local pastor, though I don't think he's doing that now, um, praise God. Uh, he held up his Bible in, in front of the congregation, and he said, I love the Bible. 
Now, I don't believe everything that it says, but I believe everything that it means. What? <laughs> and, and this is a man that I, I know from personal, uh, individual, personal experience. He rejects the Bible's clear teaching on human sexuality and sexual immorality. So basically, he rejects the infallible Word of God, the wisdom of God, and he replaces it with his own morality, and he calls it loving the Bible. He does not love the Bible. To be clear, he hates it. He rejects it. It's that simple. And yet, this man claims to be a preacher of the Bible. He claims to be a herald of the good news and of the Word of God and the wisdom of God. And people lift him up and support him and prop him up as a herald of the Word of God. This man is no herald. He is a wolf. There's a clear rejection of authority in that way of thinking. A clear attempt to remove God from his throne and to replace him with the little g God of our own making. This happens all the time in churches, guys. Happens all the time in homes. People who put on the name of Christ but reject his authority. You know, we oftentimes will read Scripture, and if we're, if we're daring enough to read the difficult passages, we'll read them, and we come to one that's particularly stinging, particularly convicting, and we'll think, well, I see what it says, but surely that's not what it means. I mean, I, I enjoy this sin too much. Surely that's not what the Bible means. And if I enjoy this so much, then God must want me to have it. After all, I am the focus of the Lord's attention. I am the center of his desire. He wants me to be happy. Everything that was done in the universe was to make me feel good. And if you listen to modern worship music, that's the message you'll get. This is not a message about modern worship music. I'm just telling you that's what's out there. So be careful. Don't misunderstand me. There are difficult passages and places in Scripture where we must read and interpret things carefully and in their context. But there are ways to do that that are faithful to the author's intent. We, we can discern what is it that Jude is saying. It may be worded differently than what's on the page because language and translations and, and, and the way that colloquialisms and those kinds of things work, what is, he, what is he getting at? What is he saying? We can discern that with, with a proper context, trying to discern properly how the Scripture reproves and instructs me in my life today. That's what Scripture is given for. Did you know that? Scripture is given to reprove and instruct. All Scripture is profitable for reproof and instruct 
And those things together give us doctrine. It's meant to correct us and instruct us. So we go to the Bible looking to answer the question, how does this reprove? How does this correct me? How does this instruct me and inform me and guide me? That's that's trying to be faithful to the the Scripture and not do violence to the intent of the author. Then, Then there are ways to approach the Scripture that just completely ignore the author's intent. And instead, what it seeks to do is to affirm my life, affirm my way of thinking. Let me just say something to you. Scripture was not given to you to affirm you. It was not given to you to make you feel comfortable about how you're living and to to bolster you in your sin. It was given to you to correct you and to instruct you. Are you able to find encouragement and strength and support in the Scripture? You bet. Absolutely. But nowhere will you find something that affirms and encourages your sinful desires and your sinful nature. What the Scripture clearly teaches is that we are to die to those things. Reject those things, put away those things, flee those things, and press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Moving on in in verse 8, Jude doesn't stop there. He's working back through his examples. Jude says that these apostates, these false Christians of today, they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now that's, that's one of these tough ones. That's difficult to translate from the Greek, and it leads to some, some confusion about how to word it in English and how, what Jude is, is getting at. If we're good Bible readers and good Bible scholars, we're going to do the faithful digging that we must do to gain proper understanding. If we're trying to be faithful to the Word, we can uh, see that we have a clear pattern here. Jude's working backwards through his examples from the previous verses. We have a a key to his logic and and his argumentation. So it seems very likely that he's referring back to that first example, the unbelieving Israelites. He's carrying those same indictments from those three examples in verses 5 through 7. He's carrying those and pasting them onto the current apostates of today. These these false teachers, ungodly men who have crept in. So working in reverse order... Verses 5 through 7, that brings Jude's first example where he indicted the people of Israel for their unbelief. We talked about that a bit last time. There's a lot more going on than just unbelief, though. But it would seem from Jude's comments in verse 5 that unbelief is the root of what was going on in Israel at the time. In verse 5, Jude says that Jesus destroyed those who did not believe. So unbelief is the root. And if you read the, the, the account, um, you'll see that there's a number of things that, that sprung out of that unbelief. It manifested itself in a number of ways, produced a number of wicked fruit. But the fruit from the example that, that Jude gave us, is a, that he is apparently most concerned with, is the fruit of blasphemy against heaven. Jude says that they blaspheme against the glorious ones. Your, your King James Bible says dignitaries. I think the NIV says the celestial beings. It's a difficult word to translate. The, the Greek word is doxas. 
It's where we get our word for doxology. It, it literally means glories. The root word is doxa, which is the noun glory. So this plural, glories. So they blasphemed against glories. Well, that, that still doesn't make it too clear, does it? There's still some ambiguity there, so we have to do some digging. If, if in fact, that Jude is working backwards through his examples, and I believe that he is, then this indictment that he gives is directly derived from verse 5 and the unbelievers in Israel when they were in the wilderness. So if we go back and look at that example in Numbers 14, we'll get some clarity. If you recall... You know, there was the Israelites that came through the wilderness and through many miracles and many signs and many wonders and clear demonstrations of God's sovereignty and His saving power over them, the Lord brought the nation of Israel to the edge of the promised land. And they sent 12 spies into the land, and then 10 of them came back and gave an evil report. The report was evil because it denied the promises of God. They said, we can't take the land because the people in there are too great, even though the Lord has promised us the land. And what did the people of Israel do? How did they respond to this evil report? It's very clear in Numbers 14. Numbers 14, 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to themselves, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They want to go back into captivity. So there was rampant unbelief, right? They didn't believe the testimony and the promise of the Lord. And how did that manifest itself? What, what did it show up as in, in their lives? Look at verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? They, they hurled an accusation against God. They accused Him of malicious, vindictive intent. You brought us out here just to kill us. They accused God of lying and cruelty. To shorten that, they slandered His character. Interestingly enough, that's the very definition of blasphemy. From back in Jude, it's slander. It's to malign someone, to, to revile something. Relying on the example from Numbers... The object of their slanderous accusation was God, right? That's who they accused. They accused God. They complained to Moses, accusing God. So that's the object of their slander. So when Jude says they blasphemeo doxas, he's, that's the Greek, they blaspheme against glories, he's talking about God. Now, doxus is used all over the New Testament, that, that noun for glory. It's used to describe kings and thrones and, and dignitaries, as the New International Version translates it. It's used all over the place to, to mean glorious things. So that's why it's difficult to translate and why your, your Bibles won't go ahead and just say he's talking about God because it, it means the heavenlies. It means things of God. It means righteousness. 
They're, they're speaking evil against what is good. This happens all time today. Just consider the abortion debate that uh, sprung up and just, you know, reached a crescendo after the Supreme Court ruling. People are having abortion parties now in defiance of... There's a movement to shout your abortion. So encouraging other people to celebrate and rejoice at the murdering of innocents. And without fully knowing it, what they're doing, they're, they're sacrificing their unborn children on the altar of Molech, the god of the Canaanites. They revile what is holy. They shout and rail accusations against God and anyone else who would dare to stand up for the sanctity of life. They accuse us of wicked intent. When you dare to say, but that child is a person, and you shouldn't kill that person. What do they accuse you of? Trying to control their bodies. Trying to rip away their freedoms and take away their necessary health care. They accuse you of evil. They blaspheme glories. Keep violence on those of us who promote life. It is a blasphemous fruit of unbelief. It's a very concerning condition to be in unbelief. I said that earlier that Jude seemed to be most concerned with this particular fruit, this blasphemous railing against God. And I say that because he devotes the next two verses to it. Verse 9, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now again, this is a difficult portion of Scripture. There's not a record of what Jude mentions here in the rest of the Bible about this dispute between Michael and, and Satan. We, we can find mention of it in extra-biblical writings like the book of Enoch, but it's not in the canon of Scripture. And so what we have here is all that we really have to go on as far as authoritative, inscripturated word. It, it is important, I find, in situations like this to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. We can get easily sucked down into various rabbit holes trying to decipher what, what's going on between Michael and, and Satan and what this dispute over the body of Moses was all about. We could easily get sucked down into just all kinds of speculations. And remember, uh, James warns us against that, against speculations. There's one of the cautions that I, I usually give to those people who are, and you, you all know them, they're, they're really wrapped up in end times prophecy and stuff like that. And they get, they get real fascinated by that. And they just, they just go down these rabbit holes and these trails and, and off into just pure speculation thing, trying to decipher the book of Revelations and figure out signs and seasons and all that. 
They get so far down these trails and they're so concerned with finding out all the connections and prophetic clues. They see prophecies everywhere and everything's a sign and everything points to this or that. And my thing is, you know, if you spent half as much time trying to live righteously for the next five minutes, all that would take care of itself. You wouldn't have to worry about any of that because your future is secure. There are no badges in heaven for figuring out revelation. I mean, yeah, the, the book says that we're blessed if you read it, and you are. I don't think the Lord wants us to be aloof or unaware of the things that are going to come. He told his disciples, I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, you'll know that I am the Lord. So we're not supposed to be aloof. We're not supposed to have our, you know, just heads blank of, you know, oh gosh, what's going on? We're supposed to be aware of what's happening so that we can stand firm in our faith. But for goodness sakes, if you just spend five minutes trying to live righteously, I promise you, you'll have your hands full. Because if you make it that five minutes, guess what? You got five more you got to worry about. And then all the rest of it will, will take care of itself. So yeah, sure, read it. Don't I mean, but for goodness sakes, let's not get lost in it. I feel like that's good advice for us here in Jude, with Jude's reference to Michael disputing with Satan. That's just background knowledge. That's, that's just the, the setup for, for what he says next. The point is that even though Michael is a high-ranking angel, and because of his station in heaven, he is undoubtedly imbued with great power from the Lord. You see Michael come to battle. I mean, I mean, he's that's what Michael means. It means one who is like God. So even though he's in his high position, he knew it was not his position Amen. of authority Amen. to judge Satan. Amen. Amen. The devil. What did David say about that battle with Goliath? The battle belongs to the Lord. So Michael, we're supposed to take from that. Michael says, you know what? The Lord will handle this. He trusted the Lord's wisdom there. The Lord has already condemned Satan. He's already said, you know, that old serpent is going to be cast into the lake of fire and he will be, have an end put to him. Jude is simply saying that even though Michael had great power and was very close to God, he didn't bring a slanderous judgment or condemnation against Satan. He didn't seek to exercise dominion or administer punishment. He left that for the Lord. Church, we, we belong to God. You know, just like Michael belongs to God. We belong to God. And unlike Michael, we were purchased with blood. We were bought and paid for with a price. He loves us like no other loves us. And I know that He does not withhold any good thing from us, any good thing that we need. We have great power. Hear me. There is great power in prayer. But our power in prayer comes from our confidence and trust in God, in Him being God and doing what God does. Amen. Amen. 
not in our own ability to fight or judge, but in God's. Then in verse 10, Jude picks back up talking about the false Christians again today. He says, These people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So that they slander and revile things that they don't know anything about. You ever had a conversation like that? Somebody is complaining about something and you realize somewhere that they don't know what they're talking about, but they're complaining anyway. They don't know what's really going on and yet they're still complaining. And then if you have the nerve to call them out and to say, well, I mean, did you really read that or did you, did you really hear that? Do you, do you have evidence about that? I mean, did this happen or are you just guessing? Then they balk at you. Or worse yet, if you if you uh, bring them clear evidence that what they're complaining about isn't, isn't the case or they have no reason to be complaining, they'll say, well, I, I still think that whatever. You know, that may be the case, but I still believe that. Well, you're, you're, you're just refusing truth. You're refusing clear evidence. They're the refusing to be bothered <laughs> by truth. And they continue to rail against things they don't understand, right? You know, the world rails against righteousness. Don't they? And ask yourself, what does the world know of righteousness? <laughs> Nothing. Jude says that, they, that what they call understanding isn't understanding at all. It's just animal instinct. They're just satisfying desires. Jude says they're destroyed by that. And of course they are, because the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. So Jude warns us, you need to hold on to the faith. You need to abandon the pursuit of sensuality. You need to abandon, you know, anyone tells you to follow your heart is a liar. Don't listen to them. You follow the Word. What does the Word say? And I'll conform my heart to that. This is what false Christians do, though. They're apostates who falsely take on the name of Christ, following their own desires and their own pursuits. I'll give an example of how far this has gone in our culture today and just what's at stake. I don't know if you've seen it online or in the news, but it made uh, headlines. A church in Florida caught some attention last week. Did you put that picture up? Put that picture up. There you go. They had Drag Queen Sunday. And before the sermon, the, I'm going to use quotation fingers, the pastor of this church had, this was a United Methodist church in Florida. The pastor of this church had the drag queen come up in front you see there are two children there with him. pastor was going to great lengths to try to normalize this man's behavior with the children, asking the children questions like, what do you think about this? And then pointing to the, the man dressed as a woman and saying, well, tell us about when you're not dressed as a woman and how normal is this for you? And I mean, just really trying to normalize this behavior. The pastor went so far as to use Romans 12 
Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a, a twisted biblical affirmation, remember, Scripture does not affirm, it, 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 it reproves and instructs, right? A twisted biblical affirmation of trans ideology and trans behavior. And then he used it to suggest that our minds must be open to new ways of thinking and new ways of understanding. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I don't want to give it the glory it doesn't deserve. But we need to mark the sin, take note of it, be alarmed by it, and fight it with all of our might to contend for the faith so that that kind of thing never happens here. I do want to point out, however, that this man over here is lost. Utterly lost. Clearly, he is confused. He is lost and confused. He lacks any kind of understanding. He is driven by instinct and desire. I listened to his sermon so that you don't have to. And there is no indication in it that this man has any clue what the Scriptures actually say. And yet they led him in a pulpit. He is lost. He is drowning. And the sad truth about drowning people is that they are very dangerous. Because if you aren't an incredibly strong swimmer, they'll take you down with them. Lost people, drowning people, need salvation. The other man, wearing the pink, that man is a wolf. He is a predator. And these children, they are victims of them both. They are victims of both of these men's blasphemous ways their utter lack of understanding, their pursuit and twisting of the grace of God into sensualities. Put up Jude 8, would you? Let's get that picture off there. You may be tempted to think, by looking at something like that, you may be tempted to think, how could someone go so far off the path? Especially in, in this part of the country, in the you know, somewhat Bible Belt, conservative areas that we live in. How could someone get so far off the path, especially when they have the clear uh, guide of Scripture to, to lead them? Well, well, back in Jude 8, Jude says that in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. In one example, he says they defile the flesh. In another example, he says they reject authority. Still another example, he says they blaspheme the glorious ones. Yet there is one thing that they all have in common in Jude's eyes. They rely on their dreams. The King James Version says that they are filthy dreamers. So relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh. Relying on their dreams, they reject authority. Relying on their dreams, they blaspheme the glorious ones. So they supplant the Word of God with their feelings. 
Now, I've cautioned about this again and again. We do not want to bring our theology and, and force it onto the text. We want to bring theology from the text to our hearts and, and conform our hearts to what the text says. Amen. What does the Bible say? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I want or what I feel. It doesn't matter if it rubs me the wrong way. What does the Bible say? I must conform to that, Amen. not the other way around. Amen. When we take that road, we try to make the Bible say what makes us feel good, we end up as filthy dreamers. We are deceived by ourselves, relying on our own imaginations and feelings for truth. And our hearts are desperately wicked. Paul said, there's nothing good inside me. Nothing. We end up lost and we end up desperate, blind, in the pulpit, leading other lost, desperate, and blind people to their destruction. So Jude has some very hard words for these people in verse 11. He says, woe to them. In other words, you know what? <laughs> I've had it with these guys. I've had enough with them. I'm done with them. Woe to them. I don't ever want that. And we'll look at what the woe is later. But I don't ever want that to be me. I don't want that to be any of you. Amen. I don't want that to be this church or this town. Amen. Unfortunately, we got this mess going on here. We have been called to such a glorious truth in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded, be watchful. There's a reason why it says that. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Amen. There's an enemy on the prowl. And if we are not careful defenders of what is right and what is good, what is taught plainly in the Scripture, we will fall prey to wolves. Or worse yet, become wolves ourselves. You, you may have already given in to some kind of twisted compromise and convinced yourself that this sin, whatever it is, is just part of who I am and that's okay. Because God loves me. I would say to you that you're right about one thing. He does love you. And that is why He wants you to be set free from the bondage of sin and death. You're not free in sin. You're bound. You are utterly bound. And Jesus stands ready to break chains of bondage. He will meet you in His Word if you will seek Him. Holy Spirit will guide you into right understanding if you will allow Him. That's why it's so important that we have Christian friends, godly people. The Bible cautions us, don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. And so many people, when they have problems with their life, or they have confusion about what's going on in their lives, they'll go and they'll seek counsel from obviously ungodly people. Amen. Why would you do that? It makes no sense. Get advice about financial advice from someone who's declared bankruptcy three times. Why would you do that? 
get marriage advice from someone who's on their fourth husband. Why would you do that? Get sexual purity advice from someone who's bound in pornography. Why would you do that? Or go to someone who knows the redemptive, transformative, saving love of Jesus Christ. The freedom that we have to be free from sin. That's why God puts us together in churches, communities of faith, believers, the body of Christ. So we can hold one another up and accountable. As we all try to walk this way, this hard way that leads to life. Amen? God bless you. I love you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. As we're working through Jude, Lord, it seems like warning after warning, and it seems heavy, and, uh, but Lord, let us, our hearts be lifted that as heavy as these warnings are, your burden is easy, your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. Let us remember, Lord, that there is always, always refuge in you. You are the God who abounds in mercy. Let us always come to you, the, the, the author and finisher of our faith, the, our stronghold, Lord. We find refuge from, from these, these horrible things, Lord. Refuge from, from blasphemous ways. Refuge from, from idolatry and refuge from wickedness. Let us conform ourselves to the image of Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you for keeping us. Keep us as we go our separate ways and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.